Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. I've been on his show on the Forbidden News Network, and I'll put a link to that network so people can see all of the great content he puts out. His name is Chris Matthew. Last name is spelled M-A-T-H-I-E-U. And he's just put out a documentary. It has the word occult in it, so of course I'm interested in it. It's called Occult Louisiana. And I watched the whole thing today. It's really interesting. I highly recommend it. I'll put a link to that as well. But it's going to be part of a episodic series. So there'll be more uh, in the future. But uh, it just kind of recollects how interesting Louisiana is and New Orleans is. It's kind of like its own state. It really obviously is its own state and union. But it's so distinctive. And it has a lot of kind of haunted history. It really is a a unique place, and I think this documentary goes into that, and so I'm glad that Chris is here to talk about it. So, Chris, welcome to the show. William, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to this, ready to uh, get into this discussion. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was just there. We were just kind of talking in the pre-show. He was there in October. I was there in February, and I really wasn't there long enough. I think I was only there three or four days, but I really enjoyed being in New Orleans. But maybe you can talk, Chris, about your background and what led you to putting together this uh, for you call it the forbidden documentary occult Louisiana. So maybe you can that's right. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. The documentary started out of just a vision I had that I wanted to bring all the incredible topics that I cover on my podcast into either a film or some sort of series. It was originally going to be a series with each season containing three 30-minute episodes, and I would travel to different locations around the United States and cover the paranormal and hidden history, conspiratorial history, any witness encounters with strange beings or ufos or anything out of the ordinary i want to cover it and i wanted to get to as many places as possible but first i thought the the best place to start would be where i grew up in louisiana i grew up in a small town about an hour south of new orleans called homa and there's so much incredible history, hidden history, occult history there's prehistory that i learned about that i never even knew about and all the way up to pirates and voodoo. And I also go into personal encounters of that focus on especially one gentleman's encounters with different cryptid beings in the swamps. And I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Uh, like I said, it was supposed to be three 30 minute episodes, but I found out how difficult that would be to get it on Amazon. So I decided to just go with one 90 minute film and uh, that's what we're going to do with each season. The first film's complete. It's still in the pre-sale phase. If you'd like to pick it up, you can go to ForbiddenKnowledge.News, download your copy right now. And we're going to have it up on all the streaming platforms within a couple of months, hopefully. And then we'll also be starting production on our next feature film. And we're, it's a toss-up. We're either going to go head to the southeast, to Georgia, Florida, and hit some amazing locations down there, or we're going to be sticking around the Southwest, going to New Mexico, Utah, and northern ports of Colorado. So it's a toss-up right now. We're going to see how everything goes, how this first film sells and things like that. It's going to depend on our revenue and other things like that. So 
it's been a great experience so far. It's like my first feature film. It was just me and my girlfriend doing the filming. I did all the editing, production, everything else. I had my friend Johnny Larson do the artwork and, um, it's turned out uh, really, uh, I'm really happy with the way it's turned out so far and looking forward to getting to the next one. So that's that's where we're at with that. And other than that, I just do Forbidden Knowledge News podcast six days a week. And, and that's my normal gig. But it's going to we're going to start to shift into the whole documentary realm here. And you're I think your podcast is really high up and listening worldwide. I saw it on Chartable today. I think it's at seven, top seventeen hundred. Is that right? That's amazing. I think so. Yeah, we hit uh, in our in our category, which is like the main category is news commentary. We hover around the like top fifty or sixty within wow, our category. That's so, that's yeah, we're pretty that's blessed amazing. for this. I I started this as a hobby, man. I just was doing this for fun, and I hated my corporate job so much. I really just started focusing and loving this so much and embracing this so much that I nurtured it into a career. So I'm just grateful to be able to talk about weird shit all day and make money from it. <laughs> cool, man. That's awesome. And yeah. you had some great guests in your podcast and this movie, really interesting people. I was surprised. I was happy to see Dr. Little because I follow him almost like religiously. I read all of his posts on Twitter because he mm. posts the most amazing stuff. Maybe that's a good start to kind of get into your documentary is like there's sure. mounds and like, universities they're all over louisiana right <laughs> the mounds are is so interesting to me and this is something that i really didn't discover how special they were until i started talking with dr little and other researchers in these realms but mounds are just at first glance they look like you know a, a small hill or a hump that really wouldn't have any significance other than that but apparently these are very advanced ancient structures that were that could have been built by builders that existed far before what we understand as native americans we're talking like atlante possible atlantean civilizations that were building these mounds that were used from everything from burial sites to astrological alignment to be able to watch the astrological alignments to different rituals and Dr. Little came on to talk about this. And like you said, he's done some brilliant research into all these areas of our ancient history. And he believes there was an extremely advanced builder culture that could have been part of what we consider this Atlantean or global builder civilization. The same civilization that, in a sense, built the pyramids on the other side of the world. And he believes that these mounds were, were possibly the the prototypes for what we see as these major megalithic structures. And you see very, very similar structures built by the Olmec in South America and other early South American advanced civilizations that did build these pyramids. They have very similar structures to what we found in the mounds. Now the mounds have been built over. They have been disrespected. They, they have golf courses now that are built over them. So what we see now is not what the original mounds were. They were probably very much more advanced structures. They And they had a lot of most likely other buildings and civilization built up around them. And it's speculated that they were highly advanced, not in the sense that we are today with technology, but with the advancement in their 
consciousness abilities and their building abilities. And it just, it grew from, from that time period, which he believes that the, the well, yeah, one of the most interesting parts about this is the mounds that, like you said, at Louisiana state university, there's plenty of mounds all over uh, Louisiana, but the ones at Louisiana state university have just been redated recently in 2020 and they, it turns out that these are the old, this is now the oldest mound site in the world. It predates any other mounds found even in South America, even in Egypt. And they date it back to almost, I believe it was 20, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 20,000 years ago. And that these builders, since they built the mounds, went on to form global civilizations and could have possibly, like I said, built the the Great Pyramids. And there's plenty of other aspects to this that we went into, like the possibilities of who these people were, in a sense that the evidence found of skeletal remains from these builders, in many senses, were very large people. And... Only in the mainstream, it's reported that they found skeletons up to six to seven and a half feet tall. That's pretty big. But they don't talk about the hundreds and hundreds of newspaper articles that say that they found skeletons up to 10 to 15 feet tall in these mound burial sites. And it's speculated, and Dr. Gregory Little, amongst others, believes that these the leaders of these cultures were very large people and they were probably worshiped as gods. Wow. And that's mentioned in the old Testament and there's proof of that. And you mentioned in your documentary, just so many of them, at a certain point in American history were dug into thousands and thousands. And that's all in the historical record through the Smithsonian. They just yeah. kind of covered up or looked it over, but all those news newspaper article, newspaper articles are there of this digging. And so, and that actually is still happening all throughout Central and South America. They're finding new civilizations, new mounds. So it's something that got overlooked. And I can't remember, I think it was in Ohio, like Cincinnati, or it's one of these big cities was literally built on a mound structure and they just swept it all away. Like it wasn't worth anything and just started a new civilization on top. So yeah, if you pay it, attention, our history is being rewritten right now by independent researchers that are coming out with this information, even in Florida. I don't know if you've heard about the massive anchors that they are dredging up that are the size of our battleships these days, these anchors, the size of battleships that could have been from these advanced maritime cultures that could have been building ships beyond anything we could imagine. Wow. Yeah. Right, so the cultures rise and fall. There's really yeah. no question about it. And I always think about looking back to the original conquistadors where they are with Moctezuma, and he has a bone of a giant. He's showing it to him. It's all lacquered, like it's preserved, saying, hey, man, there are giants around here. And then yeah. there's another culture that's just empty down the street. You know, it's uh, Teotihuacan or something, whatever, the native. And that's the whole interesting thing is that we're applying our own language and words to these civilizations whose language and descriptive phrases we have no idea about. Like Little was talking about these civilizations or these races or ethnicities. I can't remember what he called them, but he's like, this is a whole nother group and this is a whole nother group. So they're there. And that's part of Louisiana history. Like it must have been because it was at the neck of this huge river. Do you think that maybe is why that it was that's always been a place that's been civilized? 
in, through prehistory. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it was, and uh, I think it was a probably a hub for a lot of these more advanced civilizations. It's still. I mean, New Orleans is still. It's it's a port city, so it's a hub for unfortunately a lot of illegal activity, a lot of CIA collusion with different mob and different criminal entities. But that's a totally different story. But yeah, I think that uh, they, that a lot of ancient civilizations converged in the whole Gulf state area, and then we're finding a lot more evidence that supports that. Like I said, as of recent, as uh, more researchers come out with that stuff. And that's the Olmec too, which really is just yeah. southern down the thing. Like, that's a whole nother mystery. That's a whole nother show. But that's like a whole different. I knew a guy from that part of Mexico. He looked like those statues. He yeah. almost was like, a, it would be like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but he had kind of thicker lips and kind of a stout frame. I was like, dude, you look like somebody from 5,000 years ago. I was like, <laughs> they call me the Olmec. You know, that was like his nickname or something like that. Oh, but, okay. uh, so those mounds are there and there's there's giants and but there's also kind of the folklore and the history is really fascinating too of going back into prehistory. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, so it's it's believed that these these cultures the, the well the giants especially they may possibly have still trickled down in size and been around generations and it may and some speculate that there may be some still today and that ties into something else that i covered in the film and that's the bigfoot legends some believe that these giants of old just settled into our 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 wilderness areas away from civilizations and they were able to hide themselves very well and they became the wild men of the forests and essentially, you know, we, we see them as Bigfoots now, but they could have been just the giants of old that adapted and they grew hair to, to stay warm and things of that nature. And that's something else that, that uh, I go into is those ties. But as far as the other historical aspects that I cover in the doc, we talk about voodoo and a little bit of the areas um the era of the slave trade and Marie Laveau and her her dealings with high level officials and their help and the possibility that what we thought of as her magical practices just could have been some sort of very brilliant psychological knowledge and secrets that were being passed down from servants of the politicians and wealthy and there was blackmail involved and murder they suspected she she might have murdered her second husband and she became very powerful and wealthy using her voodoo tactics when in reality she was probably just buying and selling secrets from the servants that she made friends with but her story is very glamorized and she had many kids and her daughters would pose as her and that's why she would her stories would come out that she would never age because her daughters would be would be acting as her and 
you know, using services and doing voodoo practices and healing and offering all these, uh, these things to people that were in the area and they would, uh, they would see her and obviously believe that it was Marie Laveau. And that's how a lot of the legends that were formed around that historical character. And it's still today, her grave is, is deified. People go there and they leave her offerings and, there's um, only certain times now that you can go in there. I think her grave, her grave site might even be closed off to the public as of recently. They made a lot of changes to it. Uh, but yeah, she's one of the huge legends of New Orleans and voodoo. And she was the heart of New Orleans voodoo at that time period and really brought it into the mainstream culture. Um, another historical character that we focused on was Jean Lafitte, the infamous pirate king that made his homestead in the streets of in in new orleans in the french quarter for quite a few years uh he helped our generals in the in the battles that were taking place during that time period. Yeah, was in the war jackson. of 1812 he uh yes he was helping andrew jackson and there was um he had a back and forth with our government. It was like a love-hate relationship kind of thing, especially with the Louisiana governor. They would go back and forth, and he'd be thrown in jail, and he'd get out, and then the governor, governor would put up a, um, a warrant for his arrest, say $500 for the arrest of Jean Lafitte. Then the next day, Jean Lafitte would put out a flyer, $5,000 for the arrest of William C.C. Claiborne, who was the governor at the time. So it was funny the way things kind of turned out. It was a uh, kind of like Tom and Jerry cat and mouse thing, but he ended up helping with the war of 1812. We were, uh, uh, outnumbered he brought in um, a fleet of pirate ships and kind of swept in at the last minute and and saved the day and it was a victory it was a decisive victory that pretty much ended the war so and he then again started going back to his wily pirate ways and attacking merchant ships and they would put out another warrant for his arrest and he sailed off into the sunset and then was never seen again. So they're not sure what the fe uh, the fate exactly of Jean Lafitte was, but he's one of those, another romanticized characters that most likely, uh, what's his name from Pirates of the Caribbean may have oh, been Jack loosely Sparrow? based on Jack Sparrow. Sparrow. Yes. May have been loosely based off of, but he so was a rogue too. Like he was a rake, yeah. a rogue. The, the oldest bar in new Orleans, I think is the Jack Lafitte bar or something like that. Yeah, there's an infamous meeting between him and Jackson in like an alleyway where they negotiated everything. And yeah, it's another it's another instance of the French siding with the colonists against England. So the same thing happened at the battle finished the Revolutionary War, and then the involvement in 1812 was a decisive victory. Yeah. I, I think the Americans lost like the battle. I forgot what it was in Louisiana. Maybe somebody listening knows it, but. I think the Americans lost 10 people in the, the English. Yeah, it was, it was less than a hundred and yeah, yeah like it was a very decisive victory. Yeah. And it has that ties into local legends today. We have pirates alley. There is a, um, a local bar that's very famous for people seeing the ghost of Jean Lafitte still in there. And there's tales of people who are walking through that area, the French quarter, and they'll be, uh, molested and groped by disem disembodied hands. And they, you know, they'll have their asses grabbed and they don't know where it's coming from. And supposedly that's the horny pirates in the area that are still around. <laughs> 
Wow, that's crazy. But yeah. it is, I mean, you had guys on, like, it's clearly haunted. Like, there's so many ghost stories and haunted places in New Orleans, too, right? Oh, 100%. The plantations is one of the 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 most well-known, like, haunting um, attractions, I guess you could say. And although most of those tours are somewhat cheesy and a lot of it is, um, a, I guess you could say embellished a good bit, but it's, you know, a lot of the ghost tours are fun and you do learn from some of those, but the plantations, uh, have dark, really dark energy. If you've ever visited any of those anywhere in the South, really, there's a sense of energy and darkness. People have claimed to, to go out into the courtyards and see still disincarnate, uh, hear disincarnate voices and see bodies hanging from trees that aren't really there, as well as, you know, the events that happen on repeat, uh, someone coming down the stairs, a ghost of a child running around. All these things are something that is very prevalent when people visit some of these locations and are often reported uh, at the plantation homes. So very, very creepy, weird energy going on there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a transshipment point for slavery was right through New Orleans. So yes. Like, that's pretty brutal kind of stuff, yeah. And I think in New Orleans, it's still a majority African-American. I think it's 50 or Yeah, 50%. it is. And, uh, I mean, so you've got the end of the cemetery is actually kind of a place where it's a tourist spot now, right? I mean, that's kind of a, not too common in many major cities. Well, it, it is. It, it, it was. Last time we went, they were not allowing tours, and they said they had stopped them for a while because of the last hurricane. It caused a lot of damage in there. And that's another part that we didn't really get. We were going to put in the documentary, but I'll talk about it now since we didn't get to put it in there. And that is what's happened because of the damage to hurricanes over years and years and the generations of people that refuse to leave that area. Uh, every time, every year, there's a chance that you may lose your whole entire livelihood living down in certain areas there. And there are certain people that always refuse to leave. They, you know, this is my home. I'm never going to leave. I'm never. So unfortunately, there's a lot of people that die every year. There's a lot of destruction. There's a lot of homelessness. And it causes just a lot of heartache for people. People lose their jobs. People just lose their whole livelihoods when these storms come through. And that's another thing that just it there's this dark lingering energy there that's a part of the reason i had to move out of that state it seems that the, there's for i mean i'm sure a lot of states have this but the alcohol the level of alcoholism drug abuse and depression in some of the areas that are surrounding my hometown are off the charts uh the education is really not good at all and the food is, although it's wonderful, you cannot find any organic food anywhere, anything that is considered healthy. And right. people, everything's fried. Everything's fried. Everything's fried. So it, it's like you said, it is like a whole different, it's like a different country down there. But unfortunately, it, there's a lot of dark history and a lot of the culture was formed out of this dark history and it continues to perpetuate itself and kind of have this dark cloud around some of the communities down there. And that's something that 
unfortunately I have to, you know, it's, it's, it's a reminder every time I go down there of why I left and it breaks my heart to see a lot of my family members, you know, kind of suffering because of that. It's interesting because that's kind of the attraction to the big easy is the fact that it's lawless and crazy <laughs> and the bars don't close. Like yeah, some yeah. of those bars just are 24 hours. Like I got up early one morning, I was like five, six o'clock and people were still in there just rolling so so different so and it, it has a real sense of danger on lurking underneath the surface well it's been it was at one point in the early 80s 90s like the murder capital of the united states it's still one of the top in top 10 of murder and, and crime in general so it's not a safe place to be uh, it's you know I, I love to visit there i love to go out there and have fun but i really would not want to live in new orleans um, as far as i know that hasn't improved very much so yeah there's still that uh that dangerous aspect of it yeah no doubt and uh it still has that kind of uh occult um voodoo feel to it like there's uh people with tarot cards and uh all mm -hmm. kinds of, they're, they're attracted to it they're attracted to that energy almost kind of like maybe salem or some other kind of or something like oh that. yeah yeah it's it's the the, the uh, halloween is like huge down here the voodoo community the psychic community you there's a whole you know almost every other shop when you get uh to the French Quarter down in certain areas is going to have some sort of occult or voodoo yeah. um, spiritual aspect to it. So that is that's very big down there, and I think there's you know there's a lot of misunderstandings and suspicion uh, superstitions around the voodoo practice that has happened there. But in general, I think that the the people that are practicing voodoo these days down there are doing it more commercially. And uh, from what I understand, there's a lot of, you have to be careful who you're going to get like a voodoo reading from or, you know, any kind of services because it has become a very much a money racket these days. And uh, you know, very, very little real um, spiritual connection to anything. Interesting. And you, there's stores, there's like voodoo, like legit voodoo stores yeah. and readers and uh, uh, what do you call it? Ceremonial magician stores and things like that, like that you would not see in middle, middle America or anything like that. It's really incredible. Yeah. But yeah. It's very it, unique. It's, it is, it's a totally unique city and they, it's the films that have been filmed there are incredible too. I think true detective is a Louisiana uh, project mm -hmm. based upon a real story. And then interview with the vampire, right? They had all the plantations, and then there was that other movie with Mickey Rourke. Do you remember that one that had voodoo in it? Oh yes, I do. I don't remember the name, but Interview yeah. with the Vampire. That really the book essentially sparked a huge vampire underground culture there. There's still this vampire club scene that happens, but there's also a very dark side where there are. Um, missing people associated with some of these underground dark vampire clubs. Uh, there's been reports of real blood drinking and occult ritualistic activities that occur in some of these places, but they've also had supposedly real vampires that uh, came in and out of new Orleans. And this is something else that I didn't get to fit in the documentary. They have um, 
have you heard, I'm sure you've heard of Count St. Germain. Yes. Well, he was supposedly, uh, came through New Orleans for quite a few years and had some unusual um, behavior while he was here and had some dealings with, with some young ladies. Apparently, a young lady escaped his clutches one evening and sent the cops over, and he wasn't there, but they found clothing from time periods that were hundreds of years ahead and they found in his closet all kinds of bottles what appeared to be wine at first but then they examined it and it was all blood uh so those are the tales of you know count saint germain supposedly living in new orleans and then you had the carter brothers who a very similar story uh a young lady escapes their clutches the police find them it took like uh, I think it was seven or eight officers just to subdue the two Carter brothers. They had superhuman strength, supposedly. They found people tied up in their in their back room. Uh, they were they had bite marks and they were half drained of their blood. Wow. And uh, supposedly, after um, after the all the 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 trial was over and and they were caught, I believe that. They somehow, I'd have to go back and look at this story, but I think that they escaped somehow and they were never seen again, but I'd have to, I'd have to confirm the ending of that one. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that is, but yeah, there is uh, an incredible uh, vampire uh, culture there as well. No, it's real. And the movie was Angel Heart. Really bloody. Ah, yeah, yes, good. yes. I remember that one. Good. So somebody remember that. Yeah. Um, the other one was, I think I talked, mentioned that to you was the vampire clan ended up at one hour outside of new Orleans and they, they were literal blood drinkers. They were, they called mm. themselves a vampire clan because that's what they did. Yeah. The guy who did that is now in jail. That's one. And then there's kind of an, uh, I studied Alistair Crowley and he wrote something about staying at the absinthe house and drinking absinthe. And the absinthe house is one is in, I think on bourbon street. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I know it's in the French quarter, but I think I remember seeing that. So he has an article, so you can read that online. So he spent all, I think a week in new Orleans and then Damien Eccles of the West Memphis Three lives there now, too. Yeah, and He's done, like, New Orleans tours, so you can get kind of an occult tour if you want, if you're so inclined. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot, lot, lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, it's uh, a dark place, man. But uh, it, 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 it can be fun to visit, I'll tell you that. It is a dark place. It's, it's kind of – it has a strange kind of haunted quality to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any other city – kind of has that kind of well thing. even if you venture outside if you take if you take an excursion into the swamps if you are that brave maybe to even uh camp out in the swamps that is a whole nother experience right there talking about spooky scary noises that you never thought existed occurring all around you just this vibe that that dense dense energetic vibe that's what you want is to go out in the swamps right there <laughs> and that and you, people don't remember that was delta swamp right it was just one yeah. huge delta yeah. when the time that new orleans started the the mississippi deltas in was enormous they've all you know uh have aqueducts and all that stuff but back in the day it was just the centerpiece in the midst of a huge swamp and the whole area of new orleans is a bowl it's it's below sea level so right. that there's like the whole surrounding parishes around new orleans is is in a bowl it's so that's when it floods when the hurricanes come that's why there's so many areas that are really screwed when that happens yeah just the topography is, is crazy and i bet those i mean you had a guy on the documentary he thinks that those 
swamps are just totally he's an experiencer right like he mm. sees all kinds of stuff right yeah 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 scott's great he's uh i'll tell you about him just real briefly he's uh he's my experiencer in the film he's had incredible encounters that started out with just a sighting of bigfoot and dogman at the same time but not only that they psychically communicated to him they sent him warnings in his mind now, this guy, I just have to tell you, he's sober. He's a Christian man. I don't think he's trying to get any notoriety in any way. He believes his story as far as I know. Uh, his family believes him. And he has had some incredible encounters. That initial sighting of the Bigfoot after that kind of, it seems, cracked open something is perception. He started having visitors in his house, uh, creatures looking in his window, things moving around. He continue to have communication psychic communication with some of these bigfoot beings fortunately he only saw the dog man one time because uh it seemed very aggressive when he did see it and these experiences just continue to evolve he now has like missing time he wakes up with memories of <laughs> extraterrestrials surrounding him so what is exactly happening? I don't, I couldn't tell you whether it's some kind of egregore consciousness phenomena where we're creating this out of our, our own consciousness, or if he's connecting to some sort of interdimensional beings or energies, or if they're really aliens coming abduct him. I don't know, but I, I find his stories fascinating and the fact that he is such your normal, just Louisiana hunter guy who had no interest in any of this stuff. And now he'll, tell you straight up what's going on if you ask him he's not like going out and looking to be on talk shows or anything like that if you ask him he'll tell you about it so it's very interesting to to hear the experience of, of scott pace for sure but those that's very consistent with experiencers i've done studies into john mack and ufo people and mm -hmm. a lot of them see ufos but they see they're on some kind of other consciousness where they're experiencing all kinds of different stuff very they're either on i don't know how to describe it like super imaginative or something where yeah. they have, like they see their grandparents like a lot yeah. of like if you talk to ufo people who see ufos ask them what else they've seen and they'll be like oh yeah you know i see uh, i have a conversation with this other demon and uh yeah, it's true. No, it's really. It's like they connect to some sort of yeah. other density or frequency that we can't perceive. Yeah, no, it's really a trip. And the, uh, I did the thing about John Mayer. Read a book about uh, autobiography, and he had that. He was like super smart guy. Like studied, uh, taught at Harvard. But he had this girl woman on his like. I don't think it was a romantic relationship, but he uh, made her like a, a secretary or something. But she was like that, man. She was seeing everything. She was just like, yeah, I see this guy. I talked to that guy last night. So maybe just those are just people on the human spectrum. They're just some people that are that are way out like that. Maybe mm -hmm. they think it's happening. I don't know. But it is interesting. Well, I, mean, I think that they also that people's perceptions can shift. Like if they experience something like that and they weren't on that wavelength before, but it it comes through and they connect to it could change them and send their consciousness on a different path to where now they're perceiving all that stuff. Whereas where they may not have been before. I've had a few changes in the, in my life along those lines as well. I've had experiences that I can't explain. Like they're not materialistic experience. So I'm much more, I would say I'm much more receptive to somebody telling me that story. Mm. Like I had such vivid, like deja vu, like it, it's not explicable through, 
you know, human understanding, like something like that. I mean, that's yeah. like, so that'll, that'll, change, that'll definitely change. Uh, Chris, it's great to talk with you and congratulations on the documentary. I think people Thank really you, need sir. to check it out. It's really cool. And really, it's a mix of a lot of different stuff. You didn't just focus on the mounds or something. You focused on a lot of different things. And you said you can. I think you had it on Buy Me a Coffee. Yeah, it's on. It's on Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, but the easiest way is just go to our website, ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's on the front page. You say let, get a forbidden documentary here. Click that, and it'll bring you to the site. Um, yeah, or you can just go to BuyMeACoffee.com's backslash forbidden doc and that's where you can get it as well so i'll put a link to your website if that's sure. the best place and then people can listen to your podcast like you're putting out content every day <laughs> yeah I, I see it on my feed so i know at least one a day some of the older shows too yeah so there's yeah. a lot a lot to choose i mean i think when we were talking couple months ago i know that you're over a th how many episodes do you have now i know you're over a thousand oh yeah well over a thousand yeah i try to take a day off a week at least <laughs> that's good yeah it's good yeah. It keeps the brain fresh but on a lot of different subjects that kind of fits into this documentary so if you're interested mm -hmm. in these kind of maybe paranormal spiritual egregore type stuff uh forbidden knowledge news is definitely for you i would definitely check that out so i'll put a link to the podcast as well but is there anything you'd like to add or anything you'd like to add uh, additional projects or anything coming up on, in the future? No, but if you would like to help with the next project, we're completely self-funded. We are no Joe Rogan, so we we uh, we survive. We pay rent and we eat, and we if we have extra, we make movies. So if you would like to help us make some movies – you can go to uh, I'm trying to think of the best way uh, supportfkn.com that is the best way to donate if you'd like now other ways it's to help get a copy of the documentary that those are the two best ways you can help us get this next film made purchase the first film or go to supportfkn.com and send us a little something so we really appreciate that yeah, fkn for forbidden knowledge news yes and it's chris matthew m a t h i e u and the documentary is a cult Louisiana, and it's on a forbidden documentary series. So people check that out. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's do that. Let's do that.